Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we're going to have one of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this one says, don't let important customers pressure you into giving them a discount. Very interesting comments there. We'll wait to see that. We're also talking with uh, Christina uh, with our Minute on Innovation. We're going to look at the role of empowerment in innovation. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Lester Miller, who's the Head of Mechanical Engineering at IP Solved in Sydney. We're going to talk about protecting your intellectual property. Good afternoon, Lester. Good afternoon, Julian. Thank you once again for joining us. It's been a while since we've had a chat on the, on the radio. It has. So, uh, uh, I suppose, intellectual property, why, why should we have intellectual property protection? Well, you invest your time and money into developing new products and you want to appropriately value that investment by protecting it as far as you can from copying. And sometimes your investors are governments who give grants and tax rebates and private individuals as well. And one of the first questions they ask, one of the very first ones is, what measures are you taking to prevent competitors taking market share away from you? And IP protection does provide a good answer to that question because it does give you a a good monopoly right in a particular product or brand or know-how or trade secret even. Well, intellectual property or IP as property protection is uh, a pretty bamboozling area and there's quite a few areas to it. Where, Where would we start? you have in your business. Uh, The branding that you have can be given additional protection by registration of your trademark. Uh, If you have a new product which looks new or distinctive, you should think about filing a registered design for it. Uh, If you have a new product or a mobile app or something which is technical, something that works in a new way, even if it's only a little bit different, you should consider patent protection to cover its technical features. And if you have know-how, uh, you want to you want to make sure that you that you know how to protect those with with trade secrets. But, um, there are a lot of good resources the government now provides on its websites: ipaustralia.gov.au, business.newsouthwales.gov.au, and uh, all of these websites and all good advice starts out by saying, well. IP protection should be part of your business plan from the very beginning. And you mentioned ipaustralia.gov.au, which is really where you actually do the protection through, unless you're going through a patent attorney. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. They, uh, the, 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 the examiners at IP Australia are the ones who, who assess the newness of your IP, uh, and that's how, you get, that's how you get it through. Um, yeah, you, you do need to apply for... Most of the rights we're talking about, the, the government looks at them and um, they check them for newness. The most important thing to remember is not to tell anybody before you apply. Mm. Um, that's because the government is the government will give you a monopoly for a new thing. The interesting thing about patents, designs, and trademarks are that they are a monopoly reward for improving the lives of people in the country by bringing a, a new thing to them. Okay. But if you tell the government, if you say sorry, if you tell other if you tell, people, if you tell anybody before you file uh, your patent application or your design application, it's not new anymore, and you okay. don't get you don't get your monopoly. So, so um, I think most people are familiar with trademarks, registered designs, and patents. Hmm. What, what's the uh, trade secrets protection? Well, 
you don't need to register that, but it's um, it's a, it's a way of keeping it's a way of keeping your know-how secret, and you need to you need to do certain things to keep it a secret. You need to actively patrol your the borders of your company to make sure no information leaks out accidentally, and you need to control access to your to your premises and uh, sign up your employees and contractors to various confidentiality um, um, provisions. So um, I know you're based in Sydney, but uh, you're, you're familiar with the Hunter area, and we've spoken before. What are some of the businesses up here doing? Uh, there are lots of um, lots of lots of companies active in uh, in, in patenting and design and register registering their designs. Um, Intertech, Pivot, uh, Mobilife, Rambor, in the University of Newcastle, there's a, there's a, there are mining companies, um, but there, there are lots of lots of active companies in medical devices and um, chemicals, obviously, and um, and actually um, biotech. So, so what are they doing? Protecting patents, trademarks, yeah, or patents, all of them? Um, all, all actually, um, new, 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 uh, all, all, all across the whole spectrum, actually. Uh, the hunters are. A region that is rightfully proud of its innovation record, and they are active users of the um, of the patent and trademark system and design system. And I think it's important to to emphasise at this point with the trademarks, particularly. A lot of people think when they've registered a business name, mm. they've got some protection over it. But yeah. in, but in that, of course, that's not the case, is it? No, that's true. Um, registering a business name just really gives you a gives the government a. A sort of a number that you can, a number or a name that that, use, that they can use to, to to distinguish you from another person who's 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 dealing with the government, but it doesn't give you any rights. The trade the registered trademark system, and it does give you it does give you actual rights because that's that's the, your trademark is the thing which gives you the sign which distinguishes you from other people. Yeah. Okay. Now, now I've got a trademark or a patent, or uh, I have actually got a trademark, a mm. trademark or a patent or a registered design. Yep. Do I need millions of dollars to enforce my rights? Well, sometimes you need to. Sometimes you need to uh, to actually start court proceedings. But um, most most of the most of the disputes uh, we find are uh, mediated or settled. Um, but. Really, if you don't have anything registered, if you don't have any uh, any kind of patent rights or design rights, um, I think it's you, you don't, well. You don't have you don't have a, a right to sit down at the table because the other there's no reason for uh, a person who's copying your IP to sit down and talk to you. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, yeah, it, uh, it does give you a right. To, it does give you a place at the table. And and, then, and, and of course the, the word. TM isn't mm. isn't giving you registered rights, is it? No, that's true. It's uh, usually a trademark. Usually, TM just means um, usually just means unregistered trademark, and it does give you some rights. But uh, registering your registering your trademark with the government does provide you with some much more powerful rights, and also including uh, stopping stopping um, stopping products coming in over the border, mm. and uh, without you even having to do too much to do that. Well, the, the, if, if you if you, the, the customs Customs people do that for you as long as you do a couple of things afterwards. Now, there's a lot of people moving to uh, China, or not moving to China, but moving their manufacturer to China. Mm. How, how does that set? What, where, what if I manufacture in China? Well, the important thing to remember is that you need to get protection where you're going to sell your product. Um, you might not sell any, might not sell product in China, but it, but you but you're manufacturing there. Um, China might not be a primary market, is what I'm trying to say, but it, it is common 
for a factory, I'm told, to use the tooling that you've paid for to be used to fill orders for customers of your manufacturer, not, not ones that you've authorized. Mm. So uh, if you have a registered design in China, it can be a very quick and efficient way to prevent that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, little, there's little argument about whether the product is the same because there's a picture on the government's um, databases and uh, it's, it's, it's actually becoming a very powerful tool in China. Right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Lester. That's uh, opened our eyes up to really the, as you, as you say, uh, a bamboozling area there. <laughs> but uh, um, certainly, uh, looking at uh, the uh, the websites or talking with a patent attorney is the way to go. Thanks for your time, Julian. Good to catch up with you. Talk to you again another time. See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Lester Miller there from uh, IP Solved in Sydney. Time to pop over and have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Julian, Christina. How are you? That's right. Forgot to, <laughs> forgot to turn the volume on there for you. <laughs> Did you? Here I am. I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well. And uh, the role of empowerment in innovation, that's an interesting subject. It is. Now, the, the, the reason that's come up for me this week, I guess, is, is a couple of conversations that we've been having. So um, I have done a, few, a couple of future, you know, what, what, is, what does the future hold for us conversations um, in a couple of workshops that are being run uh, by a, an organisation who is actually reaching out to um, to, to the citizens, to um, to people to have a voice, to actually, Hello? you know, where, just where this future might take us and, and what aspects of technology can we use to make it the best it can be, what human problems need solving to make it the best it can be. Now, it was really, um, it was very... Uh, poignant, I think is the right word, that one of the questions that came back from, from the people in the audience was, are we really going to be listened to? Like, you know, we've been to quite a few forums and we've been asked our opinions, um, and in a lot of cases, we're not given a voice. It's very tokenistic. And I think in this instance, yes, they're going to be listened to, but it's that doubt that comes with, hey, you are being empowered to contribute, to, to have a say in the direction of where things are going, which is crucial, as we know, in cultures that support innovation um, and in getting the innovations themselves across the line. So yeah. when you're testing, when you're reiterating, when you're developing, um, very important to get that across to people. The other, the, um, the fact that people really need to know that their voice is going to be heard, that it's not yeah. just a tick the box, yeah, we've done the survey, yeah, everything's happening, but people really want to have, you know, a, a, they want to make a contribution. Is, it, is there so, any indication as to how they want to be heard? They want to feedback? Is that the way, best way to do it? I think it's in results. So I know, I yeah. know in a couple of workshops that we run, we've actually asked organisations to prove themselves before we go in to run the workshop. So mm. here's a very easy task that you can prove to your people that you're going to take action on, on this event, this workshop, whatever it is, this talk. Um, you can prove to your people that that's going to happen right from the beginning. And then I believe their engagement is higher and the long-term effect of what they're talking about has far more reaching effects. So when people know that, mm. that their mm. voice is important, that's when it is. And you know yourself, if, if, if you're empowered to make a decision, if you're empowered um, to, have, to make a contribution, and you actually see the evidence of that going on, then that is a much better way of, of progressing things and progressing organisations than yeah. if people do nothing and it's just a tokenistic thing. Because that's often been the, the, what they've said about uh, suggestion boxes. P- suggestion boxes don't work because uh, people put the comments in there and they never hear anything else about them. 
That's right. And one of the things that we actually say to people is don't do a survey, don't put out a suggestion box, don't mm. ask for people to have a voice unless you are prepared to back it up because all you do is dampen your name. Your name is nothing, you know, because you're actually not backing up what you're doing with hard action. So if you're not going to take action, people go, oh, I think we might do a, a client survey. And the first thing I say to them is, are you prepared to make changes? If the results of the survey come back, that people have, have expressed an opinion and it becomes a... You're like, obviously, you don't make changes for every single opinion that comes back. But yeah. if you're getting a theme that comes through and you're not prepared to make changes around that, please don't do the survey. But, but even uh, when uh, comments come back that you're not prepared to do, you should still be giving feedback to say why you're not going to do it. Correct, yeah, and, and acknowledgement. You know, thanks very much. Here's what happened yeah. at the meeting, perhaps, where we discussed it. Um, but, you know, and it's such a shame because suggestion boxes used to be gold. That's right. People, when people took them seriously and they actually made viable suggestions and then those suggestions were listened to and acted upon, they were gold. But I think they became, you know, a bit, we've become a bit blasé about suggestion boxes and about surveys. And, you know, although I heard this morning that the census has had a 95% um, return rate, which is really good because there's another way that we're empowered to have a say but people just think, oh, another form that we've got to fill in, you know, and it's actually not another form that we've got to fill in. It will actually help us plan for the future. future. Like this workshop this morning, plan for the future. What do we need? What do people want? And as you and I know, Julian, design thinking right back, right at the very beginning, what does your client want? What's the, what does the end user need? Where's the pain point? What do we need to fix? Great. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have, uh, we might have a look at a few more products again next week. That'd be fantastic. I've got a few up my sleeve to share with you. Talk to you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Have a great week. You Bye. too. Bye. Christina there with uh, the importance of uh, doing what you say with the innovation. Too many businesses out there do give lip service to it without necessarily following through. Time for a, a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this interesting one caught me eye this morning. Um, don't let important customers pressurize you into giving them a discount. When a customer knows that you can't afford to lose them, they'll often try everything in their power to wring out cost savings. But don't give in to that pressure to give them a discount. Change the tenor of the conversation by focusing in on the value that you create for them. Ask which feature or services they'd be willing to give up to get the lower price. Doing so will move the conversation away from haggling and toward a productive discussion about what they really value. And don't get rattled if your customer goes quiet, stops returning phone calls and ignores you. Remember, you are their preferred supplier for a reason and there will likely be substantial switching costs if they want to change vendors. Silence is a powerful negotiation tactic. Don't let it push you into giving a revenue-destroying discount. And it's an important one you think about because uh, statistics tell us that about 25% of small businesses do go uh, or do fail because of poor pricing and credit management. So it's very important that we focus on that one. And this one's an interesting one too. Get over your resistance to have a difficult conversation. You can't afford to, uh, you can't be an effective leader if you're unwilling to give tough conversations from time to time. Whether you're giving critical feedback to an underperformer or explaining why the team has been restructured, don't avoid uncomfortable situations. It's better to address them head on 
And here's how. First of all, shift your mindset. Don't think of it as a difficult conversation. See it as an opportunity. More often than not, tough discussions can actually strengthen personal bonds if you handle them well. Secondly, regulate your emotions. You're likely to be scared, anxious and even angry. Allow yourself to feel those feelings, but then focus on the task at hand. And finally, be direct. Don't hem and haw. Say what you need to say directly and honestly, while also expressing compassion. And we might just quickly finish up with this one. When expressing gratitude, don't focus on yourself. Practicing gratitude, making deliberate point of being thankful for the positive things in your life, it's good for happiness and well-being. But when we express our gratitude to others, we have a tendency to talk about ourselves when we should be thinking about them. Often when we get help and support, we want to talk about how the favour made us feel. Um, It let me relax or it makes me happy. But expressing gratitude shouldn't be all about you. Helpers want to see themselves positively and feel understood and cared for, which is difficult for them to do if you won't stop talking about yourself. So the next time you thank someone, try over-praising instead, acknowledging and validate your benefactor's action. You go out of your way, or you really go- you're really good at. Doing so will strengthen your relationship with that person. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the importance there of protecting our intellectual property and the role of empowerment in innovation. In a moment, Dave Cochran will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about starting a new business with New, new Hunter Business. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and, of course, some more legal and business news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Dale Carnegie once said, the successful person will profit from their mistakes and try again in a different way.